Praise God, you guys. Take your Bibles, and we're going through 1 Timothy chapter 4. And we will uh, read the first few verses, even though we're going to be really focusing more on 4 and 5 and a lot of other scripture. 1 Timothy 4. It's a powerful passage, and it's very important that we get this down. But the Spirit, speaking of the Holy Spirit, explicitly says that in later times, some will fall away from the faith. That's certainly happening right now. Paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. By means of the hypocrisy of liars seared in their own consciences as with a branding iron. Men who forbid marriage and advocate abstaining from foods which God has created to be gratefully shared by those who believe and know the truth. I want to say very little about those first three verses because we've already said a lot about those first three verses. We've spent a few weeks just in verses one through three, but Paul is making it clear that one of the latter-day deceptions would be uh, by doctrines of demons. They would be seducing spirits and uh, spirits use all sorts of means to seduce, you know. They seduce through uh, images, whether they're idols or moving pictures. Satan tried to use moving pictures, movies, so to speak, in his day. Uh, he didn't have movies as we understand them today, like cinema, modern cinema. But he showed Jesus the kingdoms of the world in a moment's time, right? He just, a vision of them. And he said to bow down and worship me and all this shall be yours. Uh, so Satan will use all kinds of tactics, unforgiveness, anger. Those are tactics we see of the enemy in Ephesians 4, 2 Corinthians 2. Seducing spirits, a lot of music. Satan's a fallen musical angel, so he loves to use music because he wants us to put our emotions before what's true and what's right. That's how it works in the world. They, you know, The enemy tries to get you going by your emotions and get you away from the truth to make emotional decisions. How many people have fallen away because they made an emotional decision? How many young girls fell for a young guy because they thought he was hot? Or vice versa, a young guy falls for a young gal because he thinks that she's super pretty, and they let their emotions get going, and all of a sudden they end up together with a non-believer, and then at married a non-believer, their kids get raised, aren't raised in the Lord. They often fall away, even though they were brought up in Christian homes, you know? So it's important for young people to make sure you be, you, you be, you're careful that you recognize there is a spiritual war afoot in our midst. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood as we know there's a spiritual war. And we need to hold fast to the faith. But it's interesting, he underscores the fact that these men are hypocrites. They sear their consciences with a hot iron. Uh, they're, teaching, they're liars, he says in verses 2 and following. And they forbid marriage. And they forbid eating certain foods that God created to be partaken and eaten of. And we talked about that last week, and I didn't want to spend even this much time on the first three verses, but it demanded some background. We talked about Paul's warning was being fulfilled even in the second and third century as many Gnostics were teaching that since God created the physical world and that they claim that God is evil, the creator of the world is evil, because he created matter, therefore matter is evil, and he was an evil God, supposedly, that, that it was wrong to eat meat. You can eat vegetables, just don't eat meat, which is kind of strange because that same Yahweh created vegetables, right? So it didn't make any sense, really. Uh, but it's interesting, in verses 4 and 5, he lets us know, for everything created by God is what? Is good. 
And nothing is to be rejected if it is received with gratitude. So dietary laws where you're not allowed to eat this or that for religious reasons, you know. If you have religious reasons that you're not allowed to eat certain foods, well, he calls that a doctrine of demons. Because we're not under the Old Testament anymore. We're under the New Testament. We're not under the old covenant law that was given to Moses. In fact, did, did, Moses, did the law of Moses, was that given to the church? Was that given to the world or was it given to the Jews? It's given to the Jews, right? So, uh, so he states uh, for the church to impose that, those laws upon Gentile believers or members of the church would be a doctrine of demons. For reason, he, he states, for everything created by God is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with gratitude, thanksgiving. For it is what? Sanctified, Sanctified by means of what? The word of God and what? Amen. Prayer. Word of God and prayer. So it's supposed to be received with thanksgiving and gratitude, or gratitude. And it's sanctified by God's word. He sanctifies it because he's declared it's all clean in the new covenant. And through prayer. Amen. Now, this is a very, very important topic because as I talk to you, there's a lot of controversy that swirls around dietary laws and what Christians should be beholden to what restrictions we should have. Uh, now, of course, we are not Muslims, but Muslims don't eat pork. They think it's wrong to eat pork. However, they got that from the Jews before them because the Jews wouldn't eat pork, you know, no bacon, no shellfish, and so forth. Orthodox Jews today don't eat pork. They don't eat bacon, you know, pork chops, shellfish. Uh, Seventh-day Adventists, they don't eat uh, certain meats that they consider unclean, like pork and shellfish. The Hebrew Roots Movement, which is really huge right now, and it's made up of a bunch of different, I mean, all kinds of different people. They don't typically belong to churches. They're usually kind of harassing people that belong to evangelical churches, trying to get them to adopt their roles, like you have to keep the Sabbath, and you, know, you have to keep the Law of Moses, basically. And they state, basically, you have to keep Torah and observe the dietary restrictions, and, and you can't eat forbidden foods, or forbidden, I should say, meats within the Old Testament. You'll run into that, too. In, uh, if you're online and you witness, you'll run into Hebrew Roots folks and so forth. So, uh, you know, it's important that we get this down, because if you're out there and you're witnessing to people and you're talking to people and you're sharing with people, uh, there's very sincere people that have different convictions on this. And there's believers in, mis in different Christian churches that believe it's wrong to eat, you know, different foods on, in Leviticus chapter 11, which is the Old Testament, which is the law of Moses, but was not given to us. I've, talking to, I've talked to Christians here in our fellowship at Blessed Oak Chapel through the years. You know, I remember in a men's retreat one time, one brother was encouraging another brother that we should keep the dietary laws of the Old Testament, you know, and uh, great brothers in good standing with his fellowship. And one brother, you know, succumbed to the other brother's persuasions based on Leviticus 11, I believe. Uh, and I had to have a chat with them and say, okay, let's do, a, let's do a, a search in the scriptures on this subject, which I'm glad we did. And they came to the same conclusion I hope you come to uh, by the end of this message, which perhaps you have already have if you're a Christian that believes you can eat these various things. You're already there. But it's good to have, you know what the Bible says about it, right? Amen. So it's interesting. Uh, Leviticus 11, there's a lot on that list. I mean, there, no pork, pigs, 
bacon, can't eat pork chops, can't eat shrimp, shellfish, you know, no scallops, no crab, you know, uh, no scavenger birds, uh, you can, can't eat most, not all, but you, you, not all are excluded, but most insects are excluded. Some of you are saying, well, that's not a temptation for me. If Bill Gates gets his way, it may be something you're stuck with. Uh, so you have all these various, because he wants everybody to start eating insects. He's buying up most, he has, owns more farmland than any one individual than anybody in the world here in the U.S. You know? And uh, I don't think he's going to be eating like you know, uh, fleas and things like that. I'm not sure if that's on his list. I'm, but I think he'll probably still be eating good if they were to enact the laws he'd like to see probably enacted. But it's interesting. Biblically, what's the deal? What's the deal? Father, we pray that you'd speak to our hearts, open up your word to us. Uh, well, it's very, very important that you be very, very careful that you don't allow people to put Old Testament laws on you that aren't in the New Testament. When we say New Testament or we say Old Testament, right, and we say New Testament, Testament, sometimes I wish we would, our modern vernacular would more capture the idea so we better understand what we're talking about when we talk about Old, Co- Old, Te- Old Testament and New Testament. We say the Old Testament, we're talking about the Old Covenant. Testament speaks of a covenant. When we're speaking of the New Testament, we're speaking of the New Covenant. Understand that? So when you're in the Old Testament or Old Testament, you're reading about the Old Covenant, which God made with the Jews at Mount Sinai. The bulk of the Old Covenant is about the covenant he made with them at Mount Sinai. When you come to the New Testament, you're talking about the New Covenant, which is the covenant that he made with Jewish and Gentile believers. And the covenants are quite different. God, the covenant God made with them at Mount Sinai God had already people, had people following him, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. And they were following him, but it was under Moses that the law was given to the Jews when you get all these 613-some laws. And some of these dietary laws were pretty strict. Like, for instance, if you found a dead animal, you couldn't eat it. It was dead. But you know what you could do? Jimmy, you nailed it. You could sell it to a Gentile. Because it wasn't, they weren't forbidden. They weren't under the Jewish dietary laws. Are you with me? The Jews were under the Jewish dietary laws. You see? So it's interesting. Uh, you could sell it to the Gentiles because now you couldn't, you know, you couldn't go around, you know, like let's say if the Lord said for the Jews, you, you know, it's wrong to just go up and murder someone, which he did. But it was also wrong to go up and murder a Gentile, right? If you weren't defending yourself. Because that was a moral law. But the dietary laws were not moral laws. They were laws that set Israel apart from the other nations. They were for very important reasons. So now we're under the new covenant, not under the old covenant. And by the way, the Lord told them when he made the old covenant with them, if you read Deuteronomy chapter 30 and 31, which I read a couple months ago recently, in my devotion time, uh, the Lord makes this law. He gives them law, and they all say, amen, we're going to keep it. Then right after they all say, amen, he says, you're going to break it. You're going to turn all kinds of idols. And he talks about how he's going to have to make a new covenant with them. And in Jeremiah chapter 3, he says, you broke the covenant I made with you. And he says, you will not come back to me. You refuse to come back to me. 
On what hill, he says in other chapters too, did you not spread your legs for any idol god? Powerful language, right? And he says, you only come back to me in pretense. And he says, I give you a writing of divorcement in chapter 3. And he says to them, if I bring you back, will I not pollute the land? Hmm. What does he mean by that? He's quoting Deuteronomy chapter 24 in regard to his own relationship with them. Because in Deuteronomy 24, he said, if a woman is found with uncleanness in her, your wife, you find uncleanness in, with, with in her. And Jesus identified that as sexual sin in Matthew 19. And you find out that your wife has basically committed adultery, and you bring her back to you after she's married another man, you will pollute the land of Israel. You're not to bring her back. If you divorce your wife, you know what? You've been cheating on me, and I divorce you, and she goes and marries another man, and you bring her back to you, you'll pollute the land. So the Lord says, if I bring you back to me because you've had many lovers, he says in Jeremiah 3, will I not pollute the land? Because I gave you right of the divorcement. He says, it shall no longer be said, where is, you know, or there shall no longer be said, the Ark of the Covenant, the Ark of the Covenant. Why? Because he's saying he is divorcing them under that covenant. Was he done with the Jewish people? Was he done with the nation of Israel? Absolutely not. God forbid. Amen. He had a plan. And he, they, he's never, he said Israel would cease to be a nation before him only if the, the cosmos, the sun and the moon and the stars all just disappeared, right? So he still he has this plan for Israel. But it wasn't to save them through the law of Moses, the old covenant. So he tells them in Jeremiah chapter 31, several chapters later, verses 31 and following. It's easy to remember. Jeremiah 31. 31 and following, he says, I will make a what? A new covenant with you, not like the covenant I made with you, your fathers at Mount Sinai. Woo! Now what did he just say? Put that all together. He divorced them under the old covenant. He's going to make a new covenant with them, not like the covenant he made them without Mount Sinai. And then he'd write his laws in their hearts. Wow. So he's going to make a new covenant. Well, why does he do that? Because they can't be saved under the Old Covenant. Amen? Amen. Nobody can be saved apart from what? The grace of God through Jesus Christ. So God becomes a man in the person of Jesus Christ, the God-man. Amen? God and man. And what does he do? He pays for Israel's sins so he can bring them back. Amen? He pays for everybody's sins. But of Israel, it says in Isaiah 53, all of us like sheep have gone astray, but the Lord has laid the iniquity of all of us upon him. And that applies to all of us, thank God, right? So God became a man in the person of Jesus Christ. Gomer is a great picture, right? Hosea is a picture of Jesus, and Gomer is a picture of his Israel who goes out and he has to buy her back, right? And this is, this, some of this may be elementary to you because you've been here for some time, but it's new to a lot of Christians and that's important. That If it's new, that's great, because it's great stuff. But it's fundamental stuff that we need to know, because people would not get all tripped up over, am I keeping the right dietary laws? Can I eat shrimp or not? Do I have to keep the Sabbath? They wouldn't get tripped up over these things if they understood what covenant they were under. And if they understood what covenant applied, what things applied to who? Amen? Amen. So it's important. Jesus said when he broke the bread, and he took the cup. He said, this is a cup of the what? New covenant, right? 
It represented his blood. He says it's, his blood is shed, he's shed for us. Amen? So the new covenant that we get into is through what Christ did on the cross in paying for our sins, all the things you did wrong, he paid for everything we did so we could be forgiven. Amen? Now we've been joined together with him in Christ, Jews and Gentiles, and we're part of the body of Christ. And he is our heavenly bridegroom. And we have a new covenant. So it's imperative, it's vital, it's important for each and every one of us to know and understand that when we look at the scripture, we have to understand, we have to rightfully divide, as the Bible says, the word of truth. What applies to old covenant Jews, right? What laws were they under versus what laws am I under? Because if I wanted to, which I never would want to, not even a thought, trip people up, mess with them, I could say, hey, look, man, you can't eat shrimp. Oh, okay, well, look what it says right here in the Bible. You're not supposed to eat shrimp. You can't eat pork either. You can't eat, and I could do that. And then I could say, ooh, look, you have to worship on Saturday. And if they don't know, I'm quoting from the Old Testament and the Old Covenant, which was given to the Jews, right? He gave the Sabbath law to the Jews to commemorate, he says, when they left Egypt. We're not on the Sabbath right now, but I'm just saying. And then I'll say, well, okay, Joe, I'm keeping the Sabbath now. And, and I'm not eating any, no crawdads, no lobster, no shrimp, no, no scallops, you know, no bacon, none of that. I'm doing really good. Okay, you know, be at church, you know, at this time. We'll have a doctor there. We'll circumcise you. You've got to be circumcised too. Look at it. Ooh, I do? Yeah, look what it says. By the way, oh, it says we need to sacrifice some animals. Wait a minute. Sacrifice some animals, you know? There's all these laws in the Old Testament. And by the way, Paul had a lot to say about this. Paul said that we're not under the Old Covenant laws. So I want you to, when you hear the word Old Covenant or Old Testament, think Old Covenant. We think New Testament, think New Covenant. It's a covenant we have with him. And as, as believers in Christ, our Messiah, we understand that Jews and Gentiles have been brought together under the new covenant. We're not under the old covenant. Therefore, if you understand that basic principle, it'll be hard for somebody from the Hebrew Roots Movement online to trip you up to where all of a sudden you're like, I, we got to keep the dietary laws. We have to keep, you know, I mean, I've had to, Diane, I remember you brought a sister from, or a gal, I'll say, I don't know where she's at with Jesus, I'll say a gal from the Hebrew Roots Movement. You, you even gave me a Hebrew Roots Bible, I think, from her, you know. A sweet gal, nice talk, you brought up front, and what a great talk, but she was convinced she had to keep these Old Testament things. And Diane's heart, my heart, we just, we just, just broke for her. She got caught up in that. She's got to keep all those things to be right with God. And I've seen a lot of people in that movement and dealt with them, and they get all kinds of this crazy stuff, and they get their eyes off of Jesus, and it breaks your, breaks your heart. And Father, I pray you help her if she's still in that stuff, and deliver her. Because Paul warned the church of Galatia that that was a different gospel. If you start imposing those things on people, and you start teaching them they have to keep those things to be right with God, you're in trouble, right? And he warned them that you've been set free by Jesus. Keep your freedom in Christ, man. In chapter 5 of Galatians, verse 1, he says, Stand fast in the freedom where Christ has set you free. And don't be entangled again in the yoke of bondage. He says, if any of you are circumcised, right? The context is to be right with God. You go back to circumcision. He goes, Christ will benefit you nothing. 
you'll be cut off from the Christ. You have fallen. You have, and those who've done it already have gone that route. He says, you have fallen from grace. That trip. You have fallen from grace. Why? Because they're no longer trusting Jesus for their salvation alone. By grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Nuh-uh. Now they're trusting their own works of the law to be right with God through the law of Moses. Understand that? Amen. And for some of you who already understand that, you're saying, yeah, praise God, this is important stuff. I got it. Keep in mind, there's people that are new all the time that come to this fellowship. You know? And I can always stay on the you know, X, Y, and Z part of the Bible and in the meat, but I've also got to go back to the, I've always got to go back to John 3.16, the basics, Old Covenant, New Covenant, and we're patient. You, you get a little baby in a high chair, you got a new baby in the, in, at the table, you're like, wait a minute, how come there's milk at the table? And how come there's this soft stuff too? Just make the, get the baby on, get him eating steak, he'll be okay. No, he won't, you know? So we got to be patient, Amen. And so, and, and at the same time, it's good for us to understand and review fundamentals. Amen? Amen. So there's an old covenant and there's a new covenant. And we're, are we under the old or the new covenant? Amen. We're under the new covenant. Now, wait a minute. How come there are certain laws in the old covenant that I read about? Like it's getting wrong to commit adultery and it's wrong to murder and it's wrong to lie and it's wrong to bear false witness. And almost all of the Ten Commandments, all but one of them are moral laws, all but the Sabbath. How come we still keep those? Because they're all in the new covenant. Do you understand that? All those old covenant laws of the Ten Commandments, except for the Sabbath law, nowhere in the New Testament does Paul mention keeping the Sabbath. The only time he talks about the Sabbath is when he talks about how, guess what? Christ is our Sabbath now. Amen. He's our rest. Amen? Amen. He tells you, let no one judge you according to a Sabbath law. Amen? So it's very, very important that we get this. When we look at verses 4 and 5, about dietary laws, because sometimes we apply it to the Sabbath, because that's kind of the more popular thing is a lot of people try to get people to keep the Sabbath on Saturday. It's like, and you know what? I had the benefit as a young Christian of reading the early church fathers, several volumes, you know, second, third century church fathers, you know, pre-Nicene, before the Council of Nicaea and Augustine and all that. And I had the benefit of looking at what they were saying about food laws or what they were saying about the Sabbath and how they talked about how Jesus is our Sabbath. And we worship on the first day. Sometimes they call it, instead of the, the first day, they call it the eighth day, you know, because we're a new creation, you know. And it was just, and I was so powerful realizing and seeing what the New Testament and then seeing how the early church fathers understood that we weren't under the Sabbath laws. We weren't under the dietary laws. We weren't under the law of Moses, but we were under the, what the Bible calls the law of who? Law of Christ. Amen. Now, Paul said, hey, when I'm around Jews, when I'm around uh, Jews, I act as though I'm under the law. Even though he says, I know I'm not under the law of Moses. But in 1 Corinthians 9, he goes, but when I'm around Gentiles, I act as though I'm not under the law. But he says, but I'm not, un but I'm not without the law because I'm under the law of Christ. So we are under a law. It's called the law of Christ. This isn't antinomianism. Antinomianism is anti, which is against, and nomis, two Greek words, antinomianism, against the law. That's a heresy. Because as Christians, we're not against the law. We see the law is fulfilled in Christ, but we are under a law, and it's the ultimate law for us, and it's the law for eternity. We are under the law of Christ. Amen? Amen. 
and it is written on our hearts. Amen? So true, genuine New Testament, New Covenant believers have the law of Christ written on their hearts. Well, how do you know what it is? Read the New Testament. That's the law of Christ. Amen? Isn't that liberating? Plus, it's really nice to be able to eat shrimp, you know, scallops, bacon, you know, just not too much, okay? But uh, it's interesting. Now, there were also food laws, I believe, that God gave too, because a lot of the food in those days, especially the types that are on the list, would, uh, didn't eat rats. Why? It wasn't, a lot of people think it was just to distinguish Israel from the other people, the Gentiles. And I believe, yeah, that's one reason. Circumcision certainly did that, right? Certain laws definitely made them a, a particular and a peculiar people. But there was also wisdom in it because they were being kept from rats, eating rats and stuff. And during the bubonic plague later, they were blamed, some of them were blamed for the bubonic plague, the black plague, Jews, because they weren't dying at the rates other people were dying because they weren't eating rats and things like that. And they were burying their waste, and they were doing certain things that were very cleanly. Isn't that interesting? And then why not eat birds? Not, why, why not eat scavenging, scavenger birds? Because they're on the list. Because they catch those rats, and they eat them, and they get infected by those same fleas, and they pass plagues around and so forth. So it's very interesting. Yet, well, well what gives, though? Because, well, now a lot, of those, a lot of food that would be on that list can be eaten in a healthy way. But, but well, there's a transition, though, because we haven't always had refrigeration everything. That's true. But guess what? In the New Covenant, God said that he would cleanse those foods through what? Thanksgiving. We give thanks, but through his word and through prayer. That's where your faith kicks in. You say, okay, Lord. And you, of course you use, lose, you lose wisdom. Yeah, you can eat a rat, but all things are you know, uh, lawful that were one time not lawful under the law. They're lawful now, but not all things are profitable, Right? Because that rat, it looks like it has gangrene because it was in that trap too long. Might not be wise to eat, you know. You won't go to hell if you eat it, but you might get sick and die. Okay? So you want to be wise, right? Because I think the food laws are so wisdom there. And we need to kind of see how that fits. But it's interesting, when Jesus was on the scene, he was making a transition from the old covenant to the new covenant for them. And when he died on the cross, amen, the new covenant was actually ratified through his death on the cross. But he was already inaugurating it when he gave them the cup of the new covenant. But he was already saying things. You have heard it said, he'd quote the Old Testament, which says to swear your oaths, right? It does say in the Old Testament to swear your oaths and so forth. He says, but I say unto you not to swear either in heaven or on earth, right, or the temple and so forth. Anything beyond yea or nay, he said, is of the evil one. Isn't that interesting? And that wasn't just... That wasn't just overturning some Jewish tradition. There's actually Jewish law that, said, that told them how to make their oaths. And Jesus said, don't do that anymore. Why? Because they couldn't keep the law. They were making all kinds of oaths, and guess what they kept doing? Breaking them. So he was letting them know that they were basically slitting their own throats. You don't have, he said, you don't have power to make one hair white or black. Woo. In other words, guess what? You have shown that you cannot, on your own, keep the entire law and blessed is the one, right, who keeps the law. But guess what? Cursed is the one who does not continue all things of law. Paul said no one can do it. Everyone's under a curse. That's why Jesus was died on the cross for us, to be cursed for us. Amen? So it's important for us to get this and understand the context of what's going on during Jesus' ministry. Look what Jesus did in Mark chapter 7. Now I rattle off a few verses at the very end of last service. And uh, 
last, I should say last Wednesday, regarding some of the food laws at the very end of my message. But now I want to go through some of it because this tends to be, so as I go through scripture, I pray, Lord, what to speak on, you know, what to encourage my brothers and sisters with. But I also try as I pray and I seek the Lord to keep my spiritual antennae up and say, what is affecting the church and what needs to be, as I go through verse by verse through scripture, what should be addressed, you know. But since there's so much confusion today, with a lot of professing Christians online and so many people being brought under dietary laws, whether it's by Seventh-day Adventists, and not every Seventh-day Adventist is, is lost because there are Seventh-day Adventists who, you, if you keep a dietary law, but you're not trying to make others do it to be right with God, or you worship on Saturday and you believe, hey, it's good to worship on the Sabbath, but you're not trying to get other people to do it, and you don't believe you have to do it to be saved, and your faith is in Jesus Christ for your salvation, uh, and, and you have the right Jesus, Amen. Uh, and so forth, and you, don't believe, and you believe he's God, and so forth, and you're saved by grace through faith, not of yourselves, gift of God, not of works, and, and so forth. If you have biblical doctrine, you're saved. And there's people within the Seventh-day Adventist movement, church, who aren't following the prophecies of Ellen White and so forth, but are, would sound a lot like believers sound. It's when they start saying, you have to keep the Sabbath or you're going to be lost. You're going to have the mark of the beast, which some of them teach. Then that becomes a real problem. Because now you're getting Galatians territory where you have to keep Old Testament law to be right with God. So we need to, so these are a lot of things, whether it's Hebrew roots, which is pervasive, whether you're talking to Orthodox Jews, it's important to understand who are we? What are we? What does God call us to do? Amen? How would you like growing up in a home where you had to have a clue what your parents expected of you? You woke up and your dad said, I want you to wash the car, and I want you to clean the, the, the messes of the dog in the backyard, and I want you to you know, fix that picket fence right over there, and so forth. And, and then your mom woke up, you know, your dad went to you know, work, and she said, no, don't wash the car, don't do that, but I want you to do this and that. And don't do that, don't even touch that. That's, and all of a sudden, there'd be all this confusion. They're home, and you're like, it's too much to do at all, and you know, and there'd be a lot of confusion. We'd, you'd want to know, it would be hard to grow up in a house like that, Amen. Well, guess what? God is not the author of confusion, 1 Corinthians 14. In his household, he wants us to understand how we're to grow up. He wants us to understand whether we can eat bacon or not, or shrimp. Now, the road is narrow, amen? But let's not make the road narrower than it is. Amen? Amen. Amen. Praise God. So go to Mark chapter 7. And here, I just think it's amazing because Jesus just makes it so clear the Jews are all upset with Jesus' disciples because they're not washing their hands before they pick grain and eat it. And I have so much to go through, so I'm not going to get into the context any deeper than that. But in verse 17 we read, When he had left the crowd and entered the house, his disciples questioned him about the parable. And he said to them, Are you so lacking in understanding also? Do you not understand that whatever goes into the man from outside cannot defile him? What you eat does not defile you spiritually. doesn't mean it won't make you sick physically, but it doesn't make you wrong with God. Because it does not go into his heart, but into his what? Stomach. Stomach and is eliminated. Look at the very end of verse 9 now. Thus he, that is Jesus, declared what? All foods, what? Clean. By the way, see the real parenthetical thing? You know? My translation has a little, it puts, thus he made all foods clean in parentheses. But that's actually in the Greek, okay? 
That's actually in the manuscripts. There's no parentheses in the manuscripts. This is one of those times, ah, the parentheses don't really help. It's almost like this is a little, and it's kind of a parenthetical statement, so I understand the, 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 hum, the, the English, you know, okay, let's put this in parentheses. I would personally leave it out because this is so important. This is divine commentary through Mark by the Holy Spirit saying by doing this, Jesus was declaring not some, not most, but what? All foods clean. Yes, if you have shrimp waiting for you at home, you can delight in it. Okay? Now, or bacon tomorrow for breakfast. He declared all foods clean. Now, you won't find, this is what I think is interesting, show me through the new covenant. Now, it's a transition from the old to the new covenant because Jesus has the died on the cross, but he's already making that transition as I pointed out. Like, don't swear at all, right? In the old covenant, you were taught to swear. New covenant, Jesus says, don't swear at all. Don't swear your oaths. That's why if I'm in a court of law, thankfully, you don't have to swear. They'll say you could just affirm. I say thank you because I'm going to affirm. You know, just let you know it's provided for in U.S. law. By the way, give you a little illustration as far as Old Covenant, New Covenant. There were a lot of laws that the pilgrims followed before 1776. When the Constitution was written, right, and the laws changed and so forth, some laws carried over. Like thou shall not murder, or you shall not murder, you shall not, you know, uh, steal and so forth, right? But there's other laws that they had in the 1500s and the 1600s that they didn't bring over. So if some pilgrim came up to you from the past and said, hey, you have to keep this, man, because in the 1500s we made this law here. Say you're back east because I don't know how many pilgrims were here in the 1500s, right, in California. But you got to keep this. Would you have to obey it? No, because we're a country since 1776, right? If it's not on the books, you're not under it, amen? So when somebody tries to bring you the Old Covenant, it says, oh, look right here, it says the Old Covenant. It's like, yeah, that's B.C., amen? You know, it's B.C. Now, is there a basis for it in the New Covenant? That's what you have to see. And if there is, then you're under it. If it's un- because it's not because it's part of the Old Covenant, but because it's part of the New Covenant. I don't follow an Old Covenant law. Well, Joe, you, you seem to think you should keep that law. Well, that's because I see it in the New Covenant. Not because it's in the Old Covenant, but because it's in the New Covenant. Or the principles in the New Covenant. And it explicates that principle by the Spirit of God in the Old Covenant. So, so how many foods did Jesus declare clean? All. Now, as Paul says, all things are lawful, but not all are profitable. So some things that are not probably pretty healthy, very healthy to eat for your physical body, but you just wouldn't be condemned for eating them. So uh, he goes on to say, he says, it says uh, I love this, you know. He declares all foods clean. But it's important to understand, go to Ephesians 2, 14 and 15. Ephesians 2, 14 and 15. It says of Jesus that he, for he himself is our peace, who made both groups, that's Jews and Gentiles, into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall. So Jews and Gentiles are now one in Christ. First and foremost, he was the Jewish Messiah, but he's ultimately the Messiah for all of us. Amen? Amen. Verse 15. By abolishing in his flesh the enmity. Now this is interesting. Look what he says. By abolishing in his flesh the enmity, which is the 
law of commandments contained in ordinances so that in himself he might make the two into one new man, thus what? Establishing peace. What did he do with the law of commandments in the Old Testament, in the ordinances? What did he do with them in his flesh? What is the word that's used? He abolished them. Wow. And what's interesting, even the Ten Commandments that were written on the law. If you read in 2 Corinthians 3, it talks about, in 2 Corinthians 3, the commandments of stone that were written against us. Right? He says we're no longer under the letter of the law, but under the Spirit. Right? And then when you go to Hebrews chapter 8 and Hebrews chapter 10, and he quotes Jeremiah about how he'd give us a new covenant, write his law in our hearts. And he says we're no longer under the st- commandments written on stone. Again, he says that, which included the Sabbath. But wait a minute, Joe, you just said, thou shalt not murder, thou shalt steal, we're still under that. Yeah, exactly, but because, not because it's written on the Ten Commandments, but because it's written where? In the New Covenant, amen, and in our hearts, amen? Amen. Are you with me? Okay, uh, go to Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3. Father, we thank you so much for your goodness. In your word, that's a light lamp to our feet and a light to our path. In Galatians chapter 3, this is Paul where, where Paul calls going back to the Old Testament law as though you have to keep it a different gospel. Remember that? In chapter 1, he says, If an angel preached another gospel, that which we preached you, let it be accursed, right? So if someone tells you you've got to keep the dietary laws, you've got to keep the Sabbath. Woo! Paul says that's a cursed gospel. Because we've been set free. We couldn't be saved through that covenant. That's why Jesus had to die for our sins and rise again. Amen. So what, look what Paul says. Well, then why did the law come? Why did God give us a law? In Galatians chapter 3, verse 23, he says, But before faith came, we were kept in what? Custody under the law. Paul speaking as a Jew. Before faith in Christ came, before the new covenant came, before the Messiah came, before salvation came through faith, he says we were kept in custody under the law, being shut up to the faith which was later to be revealed. Verse 24. Therefore the law has become our what? Tutor. So the law is called what? Our what? Tutor, Paul says, for him and the Jews, our tutor to lead us to where? To lead us to Christ, so that we may be what? Justified by faith. What does it mean to be justified? It means to be made right with God. So it was a tutor to lead us to Christ. Then look what verse 25 says. Very important. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor. Come on. That's just so clear. The law equals the tutor that leads us to Christ. But now that we've come to Christ, we're no longer under the tutor, which is the law. Amen? Amen. Thus saith the word of God. I love verse 26. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. So we don't have sonship and right standing with God because we keep the law of Moses. We're not under that anymore. But we have right standing with God because of faith in Christ in the Messiah. And keep in mind, man, this New Testament was written almost exclusively by Jews. Except maybe Luke, right? Which I think is so cool. You know, I think that's so cool. So now go to Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10 Now you have this transition taking place between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant, okay? And these are things that you want to keep in mind because when you're witnessing to people, you can show them these things. When you're with somebody, no, I'm a Jew and I'm a Jewish Christian, but you know what? I I think Jesus is just for Jews. Some believe that. 
I, oh, I think Jesus is just for you know, Jews and we have to keep the law of Moses and so forth. And Well, in Acts 10, Peter was having a hard time. This is kind of a trip. Peter was having a hard time going to Gentiles and witnessing to them because he was understanding that Jesus basically came to save the Jews. Remember that? Thought it was, you know, for the Jews. Even though Jesus said to Peter and the others, you'll be my witnesses where? In, in, in Jerusalem and Judea and to the uttermost parts of the earth. Amen? He said to go preach the gospel to all nations. I don't know what Peter was thinking. He might have been rationalizing saying, well, when the day of Pentecost happened, Jews came from all these different nations and they received Christ, the Messiah, Acts 2. So maybe we're supposed to go to all those nations and just reach the Jews in those nations. I don't know what he was thinking exactly, but please understand, please understand that he was, that the Jews hated the Gentiles. Okay? And now Jesus taught Peter differently to love your enemies. He taught about the good Samaritan. Amen? He saw how he dealt with the Samaritan woman. He saw how he dealt with the Canaanite woman and cast the demon out of her. But even then, Jesus says, so I give that which is holy to the dogs. Gentiles were called dogs. So he still had that worked-in prejudice, maybe, perhaps, or to a degree. And he's probably trying to understand how this gospel salvation works. It's supposed to go everywhere. But the Lord wanted him to know because he was opening the door, as it says in the book of Acts, to the Gentiles. Right? And he wanted Peter to understand, you're supposed to go to the Gentiles. To not just the Jews, but the Gentiles and all the nations, Peter. So he wanted Peter to get off, you know, over his attitude that the Gentiles were not clean. So Jesus gives him a vision, and he uses something that he already made clean, which was in, in Mark chapter 7. What did he make clean? All what? All foods, right? So look at what happens here in Acts chapter 10, verse 9. Because God's already reaching, he's reaching Cornelius, a Gentile, and going to bring him to Peter. Peter, and bring Peter to Cornelius. And Peter's going to witness to Cornelius. In Acts chapter 10, verse 9, on the next day, as they were on their way approaching the city, Peter went up to the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. Their houses were basically flat. If you go to Israel today, their houses are flat. They don't have to worry about snow, you know, especially in the south, you know, and so forth. They could just go back and kick back at their homes. In fact, it's a trip because a lot of places in Israel, there's not a lot of yard. I'm like, man, I want a yard if I was out here, you know? But they kicked back, and they had their yards on top of their houses. They'll put plants up there. They'll be barbecuing up there. It's pretty cool. And they went, he went up about the sixth hour to pray. So he's seeking the Lord. It's important to seek the Lord, you guys, because God's going to speak to him while he's praying. And if you're like, man, I wish God would speak to my heart more. I wish I, wish I could understand, you know, what I'm supposed to do about this situation. Uh, and you're in his word. That's great. But, you know, ask for wisdom, the scriptures say, like in James 1, 5, and so forth. Well, guess what? Spend time in prayer. Amen? Spend time crying out to God and seeking Him, and He'll speak to you far more often than if you don't pray. If you don't pray, you know, and you're double-minded, it says, you'll receive nothing from the Lord. We have not, as the scriptures say, because we ask not. It's important to pray. Verse 10, but he became hungry and was desiring to eat. But while they were making preparations, so they're cooking, cooking some stuff, getting together, he fell into a trance, okay? The Holy Spirit got a hold of him and spoke to him. And he saw the sky opened up, an object like a great sheet coming down. Can you imagine that? You're praying on your roof, and then all of a sudden you fall into this trance, and you see this great sheet coming down. And uh, it lowered by four corners to the ground. 
And there were in all in it, there were in it, and that is in the sheet, all kinds of what? Four-footed animals and crawling creatures of the earth and birds of the air. Wow. A voice came to him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, by no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything unholy and unclean. So we know what kinds of, of birds and crawling things are there. Maybe he's seen, you know, a lobster crawl, a baby pig crawling, you know. It's this, probably this huge sheet, you know. He's seen these different things crawling around, you know. Uh, and he's called to kill and eat. And he says, I've never eaten anything unholy and unclean. Isn't that just like Peter, though, to challenge the Lord, you know? Again, a voice came to him a second time. What God has cleansed, no longer consider unholy. Amen. Jesus already declared all foods clean. This happened how many times? Three times. Three times. And immediately the object was taken up into the sky. So it sounds like Peter said no a second time. The Lord spared us and spared Peter, really, too, from saying what he said the second time. But it took three times, and then it was taken to the sky. Now, while Peter was greatly perplexed in mind as to what the vision which he had seen might be, behold, the man who had been sent by Cornelius, having asked directions for Simon's house, appeared at the gate. So by implication, it's clear that the Lord is saying, all these foods I've declared are clean. But there's also a, diff a, different me a, a deeper meaning. If I can make these foods clean, and you can eat them now, Peter, J Mark chapter 7, Acts chapter 10, and, various, uh, and 1, Peter 4, 1 Timothy 4, which we've been studying, created everything and it's clean through prayer, right? And thanksgiving, and to be received through thanksgiving, prayer through prayer and the word, it's clean through. So uh, certainly he can make Gentiles clean as well, amen? amen? And if he could forgive Peter's sins, he could forgive Cornelius' sins and so forth. And then Peter learns a, a really wonderful lesson, uh, which I think is really, really cool. Uh, and he learns that, you know, uh, that, you know, that God accepts everybody who fears him Right? Even the Gentiles, he says he learned that God's not, he says later on in Acts 10, that God, he learned, I learned that God's not partial, that he receives people from everywhere, every nation, if they fear the Lord. Amen. Aren't you glad that God's a good God? Amen. He doesn't like just predestine a bunch of people to hell without wanting them to be saved and so he can get glory out of watching people burn just because to make himself feel stronger. That's not the Bible. That's not the God of the Bible, you know? So it's just interesting. Uh, in fact, let's look at those verses. Verse 34, open his mouth, verse 34, open his mouth, Peter said, I most certainly understand now that God is not one to show what? Partiality. Can you imagine? I used to have a deep a, a, a swimming pool in my backyard in the house I had before I moved in this other house I'm in right now. And can you imagine if I had a sign saying no trespassing, you know, and I came home one day and from vacation with my family or a mission trip, and three kids had, were trespassing, and they were drowning in the deep end, and they broke the law. I could say, you're getting just what you deserve, but I'm just going to pull one out and watch the other two drown so I can show that I'm a nice guy because I'm saving one person, but I'm also powerful because this is my house and you broke my law. And I'm going to let the other two drown would I be considered a good guy? No. That's how a lot of people look at God. That he lets most people go by and he could save them if he wanted to, but he doesn't want to because he wants to show how powerful he is. Well, we already know. Look at the cosmos, how powerful God is. Amen? 
But he doesn't will that any would perish, amen? But all three of those kids, in fact, he said, let the little children come to me for such is the kingdom of God. He says, the Father doesn't will that any one of these perish. He doesn't want any to perish. Well, that's the kids, yeah? Well, 2 Peter 3.9, he doesn't will that any would perish, speaking of adults as well, amen? But that all would come to repentance. What a good God we have. And I love what he says here. I most certainly understand now that God is not, does not show partiality. He's not one to show partiality. But in every nation, the man who what? Fears him and does what is right is what? Is welcome to him. Isn't that beautiful? So you don't have to wonder if God really loves you or not. If you fear him, if you say, yeah, fear the Lord is beginning of what? Wisdom. When people begin to fear God, it says, by the way, the fear of the Lord, it says the secret of the Lord is with those who fear him and he makes his covenant known to them. When we read about Cornelius in this passage, I don't have time to go through the whole thing, we see that Cornelius feared God, it says. He didn't know God. He, before he met Peter, he feared the Lord. And guess what the Lord said? He makes his covenant known to those who fear him because you're responding to the light that God gave you, Cornelius. I'm going to give you more light. I'm going to give you the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ through Peter because I'm not partial because he welcomes everyone that will come to him who fears him, amen? And by the way, that's a great apologetic answer that you need to know because when you're witnessing and we're going to have a witnessing campaign. Hopefully you're sharing right now, but this year we're really focused on Simi Valley. We got over half the houses in Simi Valley got tracks from us for Resurrection Sunday that had the gospel on them very clearly. Probably two-thirds of the houses or so. I'm not sure exactly how many. We're going to keep hitting houses. We're going to go to the streets. We're going to have a great time doing it. But guess what? If you go to the streets and you're street witnessing, witnessing, a lot of times people don't, most times they don't know anything. But somebody might say to you, what about the Aborigines in Africa? Don't say there's no Aborigines in Africa, okay? Don't be a smart aleck. You know, just say, okay, they, you always hear, what about the Aborigines in Africa? You know, wrong people in the wrong continent, you know? But just say, hey, guess what God says? He doesn't want any to perish. And if he had his son die for everyone, and the Bible says Jesus tasted death for everyone, and God so loves the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in shall not perish but have everlasting life, Right? How much more will he get that gospel, which cost his son his life, to a person who would accept it? Amen? And you can point out to them, he promises if you fear, if anyone who fears him, anybody responds to the light God's given them in creation and says, I want to know God. Okay, I'm, I'm a sinner. God, have mercy on me. He will make himself known to them, it says. Isn't that awesome? That's why people, when they reject God, even through rejecting his creation, it says they're without excuse. I mean, if God predestined you to be damned, you had no choice. That would be the perfect excuse. Why didn't you turn to me? Why didn't you follow me? Well, you predestined me to hell, and you never gave me faith, and you didn't really want me to be saved. That's why. And if we go by that teaching, God would have to say, yeah, you're right, that's true. But you're still without excuse, huh? What? That's the best excuse. But they're without excuse because guess what? People can turn to God. That's why Jesus says to, his, to those he's witnessing to in Acts chapter 12, I'm sorry, John chapter 12, verses 34 and 35, walk in the light while you have the light so you become children of the light because there'll be a time when you cannot and the light will be gone and it'll become night. Why would he say that? Walk in the light while you have the light so you can become children of the light if it was impossible. And why would he say, I'm saying these things that you may be saved, John chapter 5, verses 34 through 40. I'm saying these things that you may be saved, but you are unwilling to come to me that you might have life. He puts the onus on who? Us. I'm saying these things that you might be saved. In fact, the Lord says to his own people who reject him, what more could have I done than what I've done? God's hands are perfect 
and they're clean. The fault always lies with us, not with God having a deficiency in his love, not with God being partial. So God wanted the Gentiles to be saved. He has a heart for everybody to be saved. And now in this world where there's so much chaos, where Christians are being accused of being haters because, can you imagine that? You disagree. If you disagree with pedophilia, let's say, which any true Christian will disagree with pedophilia, right? You know, like Dylan Mulvaney, you know, the whole Bud Light thing. He tries to dress up like a little girl. It's perverse. He's a boy, a man, trying to dress up like a little girl, which is pedophilic, trying to be sexy to guys as a, as a, as a man. He's a grown man. But let's say you disagree with pedophilia. You know what pedophiles will say? You're a hater. You're a bigot. You're a Christian bigot because you hate pedophiles. Well, or you're a racist. Yeah, they'll say, you're racist. You're racist against pedophiles. I'll say, first of all, that's not a race. That's a chosen behavior. And it's wrong. And Jesus died to save you, but you got to get right. And I'll pray for you because I'm supposed to love my enemies. But guess what? Same thing goes with homosexuality. Or transsexuals that want to be with our kids. and Want to be with our kids to parade what they're doing. Why do you want to do that? Why do you want to strike your stuff in front of my kid? Why do you, a man, want to dress up like a woman, pretending that you're a man, and you have to do it in front of my kids? Well, you're a hater. No, I'm a protector of my children and my grandchildren. I'm a lover of my children and my grandchildren, and I'll protect them from you if you're going to want to do that. I don't hate you. I feel you're misguided. I feel you're wrong. But that's how Satan rolls. That's why Christians, it says, be hated by all nations, because we stand up for what's right. But guess what? In the midst of that... It's absolutely important that we understand that the gospel is for all people. That God is a God of inclusion. He says, whosoever will. Anyone who comes to him can be saved. Yet you have the media taking a very small group of 15, 20 people, or whatever they were, Westboro Baptists, who would stand in front of funerals saying God hates gays when God tells us to love our enemies and he gave him a son for everyone. We were his enemies too, right? Before we got saved. And they'll try to make that Christianity. And that's just a small little tiny sliver or drop in an ocean of Christians. So we need to make sure that we don't play into it because they were five-point Calvinists and they were like God predestined most people to damnation. And most Christians don't believe that stuff. So let's make sure we rightfully represent Jesus. So Jesus declared all foods clean. The Lord... Drop before Peter all kinds of what was once considered unclean food and say, I cleaned it. And by the way, that shows you that I could also save the Gentiles. Paul understood this. Go to Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10. Very next book over if you're in Romans 9. And look what Paul said in verse 4 regarding the law. And, and he, I talked about food in this book too. Verse 4, for Christ is what? He's the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Do you trust Jesus right now? Well, guess what? He's, uh, he's the end of the law of Moses. You're no longer under it. But guess what? He knew there would be people that would trip up over food because the dietary laws, there's this transition in the new covenant now. So you have a lot of these Jews, Jewish believers, well, wait, what about these dietary laws God gave me, right? And others were like, well, what about food that's been a sacrifice to idols? You know, good questions. Really good questions. Look at chapter 14 of Romans. A few chapters later, 
Look what he says. Now accept the one who is weak in faith, but not for the purpose of passing judgment on his opinions. Now when he's talking about the weak in faith, the context in this book of Romans in chapter 14 is those who think that they can't eat meat. I'm just saying, that's what he's calling them. He's saying they're weak in their faith. He says, verse 2, one person has faith that he may eat what? All things. But he who is weak eats what? Vegetables only. Isn't that a trip? Verse 3, the one who eats is not to regard with contempt the one who does not eat. And the one who does not eat is not to judge the one who what? Eats. For God has accepted him. Now you might say, well, wait a minute. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, Paul says, those who say you can't eat certain foods is the doctrine of demons. He did. What's the difference? Because this person is just going about their business. He doesn't think he can eat meat. You just love him. He doesn't get it yet. He's weak in his faith. He doesn't understand he can't eat meat. For religious reason, he believes he can't eat certain things. But he can. But if this guy starts teaching it in the church, he can't eat meat, then it becomes serious. You know, it's a trip because I was reading Justin Martyr, one of the early church fathers, in the second century after Christ. And you know what he was saying? He was, it's in his dialogue with Trifo the Jew. You can read a lot of it online. It's, Trifo was a Jew, and they're going back and forth. And you see Justin Martyr's wisdom. It's pretty amazing. He was one of the top apologists in the second century, him and Irenaeus. And he's talking about how you Christians, what about there's some of you who don't eat meat or follow some of the dietary laws? You know what Justin says? He goes, guess what? As Christians, we believe that a man who doesn't eat meat in the church, he's still accepted among us. But then he says, but if he began to teach that you can't eat meat, then he would be disciplined. I thought, wow. And I read that. I've read a lot of church fathers. I was like, man, I don't remember reading that, you know. And I read that just about a year ago. I'm like, that's cool. That's exactly what we believe, you know. That's in, look at verse 4. Who are you to judge the servant of another? To his own master he stands or falls. And he will stand, for the Lord is able to make him stand. Right? Verse 5. For one person regards one day above another, and another regards every day alike. Each person must be full, fully convinced in his own mind. So some believe Sunday is the Lord's day, man. You've got to go to church on Sunday. Others are like, yeah, praise God. But guess what, man? Wednesday's important. Tuesday's important. All days are important to Jesus. So every day is like the Lord's day for me. Well, praise God, that's good. But man, let's make sure we can get on Sunday. Well, praise God, that's good. I agree, that's good. But to me, they're all alike. Well, I believe, you don't start arguing about it. Dude, let that guy up, man. Got him in a headlock, you know? It's just, you know, let each person be persuaded in their own mind. Walk with a good conscience. Look at verse 14. Jump down to verse 14. I know that, and I'm convinced in the Lord, Jesus, that what? Nothing is unclean in itself. Paul understood he could eat meat. And he's strong in faith. He's concerned about those who are weak in the faith, that we don't boot them out of the church. But to him who thinks anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. So if you think, man, eating that pork is unclean, and you're not convinced, and you don't understand that you can eat it, well, and you do eat it thinking it's unclean, guess what? That's going to be like a sin. Why? Even though the pork isn't sinful to eat, it becomes a sin because you think that you're in rebellion to God when you eat it. Your heart's not right. Do you understand? Like I tell my kids, you know what, my grandkids now, you know what, nobody eat those chocolate chip cookies because those are, for, those are from Grandma Lisa, for Nana. Don't eat them. And one kid comes in, he doesn't hear it, he eats it. Is he sinning? He didn't hear it? No. And then I come in later, I say, you can eat the chocolate chip cookies, Right? 
And they all heard it, but one kid's out back and didn't get the memo that he's not able to eat them now. And the other one started eating them, and he sits down. When he eats it, even though he's allowed to, technically, he's sinning against me, so to speak, or he's breaking my law because he thinks, so he's looking at them with a bad conscience, thinking, okay, he's still on restriction in his mind. So he's in rebellion to me. Do you understand? That's why a person, that's why he says right here, uh, anything, if someone regards something as unclean to him, it is unclean. You get it? Verse 15, for if because of food your brother is hurt, you are no longer walking according to love. Do not destroy with your food him for whom Christ died. In other words, guess what? I can eat pork chops or whatever, you know? Chris makes some mean pork chops over there. Chris makes pork chops really good, you know? I could eat some really good pork chops and just yum, yum. This is great, you know. But guess what? A brother comes in and he thinks we can't eat pork. He's a new Christian. He was an Orthodox Jew before. And he thinks it's sinful. And he thinks that we're in rebellion to God if we're doing it. I'll put my pork chop aside, you know. Okay, what is there? Man, Rice Krispies. I mean, what am I going to eat, you know? <laughs> what's, what's at this house, you know? So, but you, you, you want to be loving and, and so forth. And, and so he says in verse... Uh, 14, you know, for if because of food your brother is hurt, you are no longer walking according to love. Do not destroy with your food him for whom Christ died. That's heavy. That shows you that somebody can, you can cause someone to perish that Jesus died for. So much for, you know, irresistible grace, right? Verse 16, therefore do not let what is for you a good thing be what? Spoken of as evil. Now look what he says. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen. Praise God. I love that. Okay, so that's what the kingdom of God is about. It's not, not about eating and drinking. It's about the fruit of the Spirit and loving one another. Amen? So this is very, very important stuff. Now, verse, 10, verse 20, look what he says. Do not tear down the work of God for the sake of food. All things indeed are clean. They are clean. He makes it really clear. You can eat these things. But they are evil for the man who what? Eats and gives offense. It is good not to eat meat or to drink wine or do anything by which your brother stumbles. The faith which you have, have as your own conviction before God. Happy is the one who does not condemn himself in what he approves. But he who doubts is condemned if he eats, because his eating is not from faith. And whatever is not from faith is what? Sin. Do you get it? Because you think you can't eat it, but you're going to eat it anyway. Even though you could eat it, but you just don't know that, then it becomes sin to you because you think you can't eat it and you're doing it. It puts the same principle with wine, you know. Let's say, hey, you're having a little bit of wine and you're not getting drunk at all, but you have someone who believes it's wrong to drink any wine at all, period. You're not supposed to drink it in front of them. That's why you shouldn't flash your, your liberties. we got to be careful with the liberties that we have that we're not causing people to stumble for whom Christ died. That's serious, serious stuff. Now, it's interesting because in Luke 10, verse 7, listen to what Jesus said. Stay in that house when you're going witnessing. He sends out the 70 disciples to go show the gospel. Stay in the house eating and drinking what they give you. For the labor is worthy of his wages. Do not keep from house... Oh, I'm sorry... Do not keep moving from house to house. Whatever city you enter and receive, that receives you, eat what is set, listen to this, eat what is set before you. Isn't that interesting? 
That means it's all, whatever he puts baby before me, just eat it. Isn't that interesting? And guess what? Paul says the same thing, basically. In 1 Corinthians 10, if you want to go there, verse 25, in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 25, Paul says, eat anything that is sold in the meat market without asking questions for conscience sake. Why is he saying eat anything that's sold in the meat market without asking questions for conscience sake? Because he knows that if you eat something sacrificed in idol and you don't know about it, it's not a problem. But if you know about it, it might bug your conscience. And he says, for the earth is the Lord's and all it contains. Sounds a lot like 1 Timothy 4. If, if one of the unbelievers invites you, now check this out, if one of the unbelievers, now if Corinthians is a pagan area, I mean, the pagans invite you over and they worship idols, they sacrifice things to idols, right? He says, if one of the unbelievers invites you and you want to go, eat anything that is set before you without asking questions for conscience sake. Isn't that a trip? It's just what Jesus said in Luke 10, 7. When you go and you're witnessing, don't even ask about the food they give you. Because some of it may be eat sacrifice idols and that's not going to affect you unless you know about it and they know about it and they know you know about it then they're wondering what are you doing because listen to what he says you get it listen to what he says in verse 28 but if anyone says to you this is meat sacrificed to idols do not eat it so let's say you're with another brother and he doesn't know this principle and he's he goes they, they sacrifice that to an idol and then he says don't eat it he says don't eat it for the sake of now this is interesting if anyone says, this is meat sacrificed to idols, do not eat it for the sake of the one who informed you for, and for conscience sake. I mean not your own conscience, but the other man's. For why is my freedom judged by another conscience? If I partake with thanks, thankfulness, why am I slandered concerning that for which I give thanks? In other words, guess what? That brother is going to say, you knew that was sacrificed to idols. I can't believe that. You're worshiping demons. And Paul's like, no, I wasn't worshiping demons. But the brother doesn't know you're not worshiping demons. But for the sake of somebody's conscience, don't do it because they could be really cause to stumble because then they might go and say, well, I can eat all this food eating, you know, sacrificed idols. And I'm slurping up the blood just like, you know, the demons are with them. But it's okay with God. Or it's not okay with God, but I'm doing it. Then they feel like they've sinned. And Acts 15, when he says, you, he says to stay away from meat that's been strangled, because they would not cut open the animal. they just strangle it, and the pagans would drink the blood. And he says, don't drink blood. You don't want to get involved in idolatry. Isn't that interesting? So you want to stay away from idolatry, and you don't want to eat things sacrificed to idols normally. But if you're, being, if you're witnessing, you're vetting someplace, and they feed you meat, just don't ask. But if someone points out it's eaten by an idol, or it's been sacrificed to idols, don't eat it. For the sake of conscience. Not even your own conscience. Isn't that heavy? There's a lot of interesting principles here. And it's interesting because in the early church fathers, these guys, the early church fathers uh, make some incredible points along these lines. I'm talking 2nd century, 3rd century, after the apostles. Clement, of, uh, Clement and he preceded uh, Origen in Alexandria. Clement says, we are not then to abstain wholly from various kinds of food. Listen to this. And he wrote about in the 190s AD. Think about that. He wrote in the 190s AD. We are not then to abstain wholly from various kinds of food, but only not to be taken up about them. We partake of what is set before us as becomes a Christian out of respect to him who has invited us by harmless and moderate participation in the social meeting. Isn't that interesting? 
They're applying that principle that Jesus and Paul taught. We get invited by these pagans and we partake of the food that they, they serve us. But it's interesting, Clement quotes 1 Timothy 4, 1 through 5 that we started with as we're studying 1 Timothy about doctrines of demons. And then he warns that, guess what? You can eat meat. He gives the example, which I think is interesting, of ravens bringing Elijah meat to eat. He gives the example of Samuel giving Saul a leg bone. Not a human leg bone, but a leg bone. And it's interesting, Clement, or, or Origen, who was succeeded by uh, Clement, another church father that wrote more than any other church father, uh, warned that we're not to, quote, abstain from, quote, abstain from foodstuffs God created. It's interesting. And we have to be careful because God's word warns us not to go back under the law. In Colossians 2, verse 16 says this, Paul writes this, Therefore no one is to act as your judge in regard to food or drink or in respect to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day, things which are a mere shadow of what is to come, but the substance of the reality belongs to Christ. Let no one keep defrauding you of your prize by delighting in self-abasement and the worship of angels, taking his stand on visions he has seen, inflated without cause by his fleshly mind. Isn't that interesting? That's what a lot of the Gnostics were doing. Oh, we got visions from angels, and they put people under all sorts of crazy laws, and it's quite sad, actually, what had happened. Now, it's interesting uh, because I'm looking forward to my notes, but I had this really cool story. In 177, I hope I can find it in France. Yeah, here it is. A persecution that started in France in 177 AD. That's right around the time of Origen and or I should say uh, Clement and so forth. Uh, there's a Christian named uh, Alcibiades. And Alcibiades, uh, he lived, he quote, lived an, exterior, uh, an exceedingly austere life, confining his diet to bread and water. His diet was just bread and water, okay? Okay, Alcibiades was just, he just bread and water, that's all I'm going to eat. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to abase myself before God. That's all I'm going to eat for, for, for my meals. Uh, nothing else and nothing else whatsoever, end quote. But while he was in prison awaiting martyrdom, a pillar of the church, man described as a pillar of the church, convinced him from Scripture that all the creatures God made he can partake of. And in the weeks before his death, well, by the way, it's interesting, he, he, he persuaded him that he could eat all the creatures that God made, and quote, and living an example which might be a stumbling block to others. In other words, guess what? Your lifestyle could be a stumbling block to others because you're making it look to be a Christian, you have to just eat bread and wa drink water. Isn't that interesting? A stumbling block could go both ways. And then he was convinced, and then he, quote, partook freely of all kinds of food, end quote. Praise the Lord, he got to eat good before he was martyred, you know. <laughs> So I just thought that was an interesting story. So, but there are a couple, guys, I think it's important to understand. There are a couple uh, dietary laws that God does. I mean, when I say dietary laws, I should say dietary laws. There are some rules in the New Testament that we should follow, though, regarding food. It's not what kinds of meat you can eat, okay? Not what kinds of food you can eat. But listen carefully. Philippians 4, 5. Let your moderation be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. We should be moderate in what we eat. Amen? Okay. I say that as a guy that used to weigh 310 pounds, you know, and I, I, mean, I, was, a, I was a strong 310 pounds, so you probably wouldn't know as much as you could know, but if I had my shirt off, you'd really know, you know. So, and then I started intermittent fasting like five or six years ago, man, and dropped a ton of weight real quick. 
And I still got ways to go, but now I do things more in moderation. Like when you're young, man, you think you can do anything. You do, you know, and then you get older and your metabolism slows down, you know. And I love this passage, 1 Timothy 4, we already looked at, eat with what? With what? Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving and what? Prayer, amen. Pray before you eat. Oh, man, I forgot to pray. I'm halfway through my meal. Then just pray right then, amen. I do that sometimes. Like, man, I forgot to pray, amen. So with prayer and thanksgiving and with moderation, and the last thing I'll read to you is 1 Corinthians 10, 31 through 33. Whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do, and this is after Paul's talking about not you know, eating things consciously that are sacrificed to idols. Whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the what? Glory of God. Give no offense either to Jews or to the Greeks or to the church of God. Just as I also please men in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of the many, so that they may be saved. Amen. We're supposed to deny ourselves so other people will be saved, so we have to be careful. Are we causing someone to stumble? That's a very, very important Christian principle that I think a lot of Christians have a hard time with because they want to do what they will. They want to do their own thing. If that causes that person to stumble, shine them. Really? Is that your heart? I mean, we should have love for people, amen? And if we have the love of Christ in our hearts, we're going to not want to make our brothers stumble and perish, amen? So just save the shrimp for later, okay? If somebody's over there and you can't eat your shrimp, right? Amen? You can still have it later. Amen? So praise God. I love you guys. It's 833. I got two minutes of grace left. Let's pray.